Okay, Easter sermon, take one. Hello, come in. Who are you? What can I help you with? Pastor Todd, I am Agent R from M-I-B-S-Q-U. What is that? Men in Black Special Quarantine Unit. I thought you guys always wore black. What's with the uh, plaid tie? Well, it's Easter, and I'm doing the questioning here. Pastor Todd, it has come to our attention through surveillance of your home that you are doing some hoarding. Hoarding? I mean, we only have like one package of toilet paper. Oh, no. It's not the regular stuff that people hoard. For example, you have three boxes of dryer sheets. What have you got to say? Dryer sheets? Yes. I had no idea. My wife gets all that stuff. I, I couldn't even tell you how much we need or how much we use or... You, you'd have to ask her. Hmm. Well, what about this? You have three jars of peanut butter, smooth and crunchy. This is a serious offense. It could come with a stiff penalty. Uh, definitely my wife. Uh, she, she has serious anxiety issues about uh, running out of peanut butter. So I'm sure that's the explanation. I, I, you'd, you, again, you'd have to, to check in with her on that. Well, and here is the most serious one of all. You have four huge Ghirardelli chocolate bars. What have you got to say? Oh, well, uh, 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 those, those are actually uh, for use in sermon preparation, yes. Um, they uh, provide a little inspiration, a little reward, a little sustenance, you know. And Actually, I, I have a dispensation from my bishop to use those. Well, maybe. Well, anyway, I got to get back to my recording my Easter message here, and uh, I, I will definitely uh, talk to my wife about, about all this. We're watching you, Pastor Todd. Easter message, take two. I hope you had a little fun with that. Uh, I want to thank Trish for coming up with the idea for that little skit. Good Easter morning, Faith family. And if you're new with us today, uh, it's great to have you join in. Right now, we're going to listen to some gathering music from David Gerard. So take this time to grab some coffee, gather up the kids, and get yourself settled. And feel free to use this time to quiet your soul and bring yourself into the presence of God.
day We're gathered in your name Calling out to you Your glory like a fire Awakening desire To burn our hearts with truth today to share the Easter story with you. I'm going to be reading again from Easter Love Letters from God, written by Glennis Nellist and illustrated by Sophie Alsop, and it's published by Zonder Kids, and they've given us permission to read from this. I love this book, and I wanted every family to have one, 
and it's not too late. If you still haven't gotten yours yet, you can just let me know and I will get you one. And so today, um, as I'm reading our story, my friend Chris Bowers is going to join us again, and she's going to be working with that drawing from Palm Sunday that was painted over on Good Friday. And now today we have a special surprise for you. So our story starts the day after Jesus died on the cross. Jesus had died. Joseph and Nicodemus were sad. They carefully took Jesus's body down from the cross. They cleaned him and they wrapped his body in strips of white linen and carried him to a quiet cave on the hillside. They laid Jesus down inside the cave. Then they said goodbye. Before they left, they rolled a big stone over the entrance. Outside the cave, two guards kept watch. The big heavy stone was sealed in place and for three whole days, all was still. But inside that quiet cave, God was working. If you tried to peek inside, you couldn't see anything. If you stood outside and put your ear to the big stone, you couldn't hear anything. If you tried to imagine what was happening, you couldn't. But inside, God was doing something utterly amazing, something only God could do. Jesus waited, and the world held its breath and waited with him. There was something special about the day. The birds that lived in the trees above the quiet cave knew it. They knew it when they opened their eyes that morning and saw the sunrise. The sun peeked out over the horizon and seemed to wink at the world. Pinks and oranges, yellows and reds flooded the sky. Golden rays reached out like fingers toward the cave and twinkled as if they were holding a secret. The birds could feel an early morning whisper, a song gliding through the trees. And now the birds could hear it, a whisper that got louder as it danced along. It was a name, a name carried on the wind, sailing through the leaves, rushing through the grass. The birds perked up and opened their beaks to join the chorus of all creation, as every living thing sang the name, the name that is above any other name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is alive. The big stone had been moved. The cave was empty. The sun was shining. Jesus, king of the whole world, was alive again. The trees clapped their hands. The flowers danced for joy. The birds flew high over the fields and carried the news, the most wonderful news that the world has ever heard. Jesus is alive. And soon the disciples would know it. Jesus' mother would know it. One day, everyone in the whole world would know it. And now you know it too. Your love letter from God today says, Dear children, can you believe that my son Jesus came back to life? Only the king of the whole world could do that. Jesus is the king of love, the king of hope, and the king of heaven. And he wants to be the king of your life too. I love you, God. That's the good news of the Easter story. Jesus is alive. Miss Chris chipped away at that black paint to reveal a beautiful picture of the stone being rolled away from the tomb to remind us that Jesus is alive. He conquered death. And that story reminds me that in the middle of our hard times and our tough times, that we can look for the good things too. We can look for that beauty that's hidden underneath the hard things that are going on around us. And so today, I just want you to remember that God loves you so, so much. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to save us. And that's the good news of Easter. 
I love you all, and I will see you again soon. Happy Easter.
On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary... Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the woman, because her words seemed like nonsense. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the stripes of the linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In all my years of being a pastor, I never imagined an Easter like this. I mean, who ever imagined an Easter where our worship center stands empty? An Easter where we don't get to hear each other sing all the great Easter songs. And an Easter where we are just, we are sitting at home looking at our computer screens. But the biggest thing I miss is you. I miss being with you. I miss being able to greet you. And, and you know, I think God made us to be together. And so isolation is not normal. Isolation feels awkward and, and strange to us. But you know, we still come with joyful hearts on this Easter morning. And I want to share with you uh, the ancient Easter greeting I always do every Easter. And so I'll do the open and you do the response with me. He is risen. He is risen indeed. They tell us that now more than 2,000 people a day are dying from the COVID-19 virus and, and in, the, in the U.S., and, and many more are suffering from it. We also know that Jesus suffered. But interestingly, he did not explain suffering. Though he did say that when a disaster strikes somewhere, it's not because those people sinned more than others. Uh, We've never experienced anything in our lifetimes like this pandemic, but you know, there have been other pandemics in the past, and there may be more in the future. Uh, there was the flu pandemic in 1918, over the, and over the next couple of years, they say between 20 million and 50 million people worldwide died from it, especially young, healthy adults. Uh, the worst pandemic was the Black Death, an eight-year outbreak of the bubonic plague in the 1300s. I've been reading a book recently on the history of the Christian movement by Rodney Stark, a professor at Baylor University, and I was particularly struck by his review of a pandemic in the second century. In ancient times, cities had high population density. Uh, for example, today, Manhattan, New York has 100 people per acre, so pretty crowded. Uh, uh, Calcutta, as you could expect, is even more crowded, 122 people per acre. Most cities in the Roman Empire uh, had population densities approaching 200 people per acre. In ancient Rome, it's estimated that 302 people per acre lived there. Social distancing was impossible. 
So these cities were, were ripe for rampant disease. In those days, very few, very few people lived in standalone houses. Most people lived in rickety apartments. Stark says, most streets were so narrow, uh, we would consider them uh, mere footpaths. He said, if people leaned out their window, they could chat with someone living across the street without having to raise their voice. Another thing about ancient cities is that they stunk. Streets served as sewers. Flies and maggots and mosquitoes were everywhere. And with all this filth and no medicine, it's likely that many people suffered from chronic health problems. In 165 AD, Roman soldiers returned from the Middle East with a disease that was decimating their ranks. We don't know for sure what it was, but the leading theory is that it was smallpox. Stark says, during the 15-year duration of the epidemic, a quarter to a third of the people died of it. Can you imagine? One out of every three or four people died of this disease. What did people do back then to help one another? Well, not much. Roman philosophers said that showing mercy to people in need was a sign of weakness. The Roman gods didn't care what happened to people and neither did their priests. Uh, and once you started showing symptoms, it was very likely that your family would just kick you out of the house to die alone. But there was a group of people throughout the empire who were different. The founder of their movement said, Blessed are the merciful. He said that to give food to the hungry and water to the thirsty and, and to care for the sick was a way of doing it for him. He taught his followers that faith must be shown in action, which included giving food to the hungry and clothing those who are cold, even to those who didn't share their faith. They considered each other sisters and brothers, and every congregation has deacons whose primary job was the support of the sick, infirm, poor, and disabled. We know that a Roman pagan physician named Galen fled to the countryside during the plague instead of caring for his patients. But those who belonged to Jesus had learned to not fear death. They believed in life in the age to come, and it gave them courage. So they delivered food and water to the sick. They cared for the dying. They buried the dead. Everybody knew back then that the disease spread from person to person, and I'm, I'm sure they took some precautions. But like today's uh, medical professionals, some who helped others also got sick, and some of them died. And yet, by their simple, practical caring, they significantly reduced the mortality rate. Even just giving a sick person food and water improves greatly their likelihood of survival. One historian says, it's entirely plausible that Christian nursing would have reduced mortality by as much as two-thirds. By the end of the, of the pandemic, it turns out that many more G of Jesus' people survived, and some of the pagans that they cared for became disciples. Stark says, as a result, the percentage of the population who were Christians increased substantially. And the same thing happened in a pandemic a century later. You know, 
I see some similar kinds of things happening today. I think I speak for our entire congregation when I say thank you to those who serve on the front lines, caring for the sick. You put yourself at risk every day. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, if you're caring for a COVID-19 patient, I believe you're living out Jesus' values. And I want to thank all of you who serve and support our pantry. On third Wednesdays and fourth Saturdays, you're helping at least 300 people in 100 or more households get some extra groceries so they can make it to the end of the month. And that's more important now than ever. I also want to thank our team of 50 who are making masks for people who have high health risks and for those who are working in essential services. As of Thursday morning, uh, you made and delivered more than 2,800 of those masks. You are saving lives. And that's why our mission focused today is our new COVID uh, fund. The top priority for this fund right now is purchasing supplies so that our masketeers can uh, keep making those cloth masks. If you'd like to give, uh, check out this website, faithwestwood.com service. If you're watching on Facebook, it's in the description. From there, you can give, fill out a connection card, and send in a prayer request. One thing we discover from our scripture reading in Luke 24 is that no one expects Jesus' resurrection. Sunday morning, several women show up at the cemetery. Among them, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James. They bring spices to anoint Jesus' body. Uh, so we know they don't expect to find an empty tomb. When the women rush back to tell the men that they've just talked to a couple of people in super shiny clothes, say that Jesus is alive, uh, the men, they poo-poo it. They dismiss the story. It's too far-fetched. You see, no one expects it. Now, all of those Jesus of Jesus' followers believed in a resurrection, they believe in a resurrection for the righteous in the age to come, when God restores all things. What they do not expect is a resurrection for one person in the current age. Jesus' resurrection means that God is already starting to make restoration happen. <clears throat> Easter promises that one day God will reassemble this world so it's, it's free from earthquakes and tsunamis. God will readjust it so there won't be any more crop failures or extinct species. Easter promises that one day God will scrub clean this world of disease and viruses that make us sick. God will take away illness, dis disability, and pain. Easter promises that God will restore the land that we've scarred and the, and the air that we've polluted and the water we've contaminated. God will make them pristine and no one will ever spoil them again. Easter promises that everyone who believes and belongs to Jesus will live with him forever and he will give us indestructible resurrection bodies and our days of weeping and grieving and death will be gone. Easter means that this rest restoration is already in its beginning stages. It's already underway. The Bible verse I want us to remember today is uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. 
Now, leading up to this verse, the Apostle Paul says that Christ died for everyone, and that's why we no longer live for ourselves. We live for Jesus, who died and was raised to life. And then verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Will you say it out loud with me? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. When you belong to Jesus, the new creation is already underway. The future has begun. It's like when a child is adopted, he or she is still the same person. But the identity of that child is now profoundly changed. This child now belongs to those new parents and will take on their family name, their language, their culture, their values. And when you are in Christ, you are given a new identity. You belong to him. And it will change everything about your life for your entire life. That's why we say the new creation has come. And that means we also have to let go of the old identity. It wasn't doing us any good anyway. The old identity was immoral and indecent. We sought the approval of others uh, more than we did approval from God. We drank too much. We got angry too much. We bought too much stuff. We were spiteful to other people, especially on social media. But that was the old you. That was the old identity. The old has gone. The new is here. When you are God's new creation, he also fills you with the Holy Spirit. He makes you more loving and joyful and peaceful. The Spirit makes you more patient and kind and self-controlled. Let's say our uh, verse together again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Sometimes we, we feel like getting mad at God, don't we? We say, God, if you're so good and you're so powerful, why don't you do something to stop all this suffering? You know, there hasn't been a moment in human history where we couldn't have asked that question. There's always been profound suffering. And, and I have to tell you, I don't have an airtight answer to the question of why God doesn't stop all suffering. But here's what I do have. I want to share with you three things, all of them based on Scripture. First, I believe that God is intent, uh, his intent for creation was completely good. But human rebellion infected the entire planet, introducing all kinds of horrible consequences. Second, I believe that God is supremely wise and has reasons for not ending suffering now, even if I don't know what that reason is. And, and whatever those reasons are, it's not because he doesn't love us. Because we know that God loved us enough to suffer for us in Jesus. And third, I believe that God wants to use us, God wants to use you and me to alleviate suffering in whatever ways we can. God wants to use us to bring healing and sobriety and comfort and hope to the world. It's, it's like Jesus' people in the pandemic in the second century. God used them to show the world a different way. In that dark night of history, the hope of a restored world was beginning to dawn like faint light breaking into the eastern sky. Have you ever wondered 
why there's a hospital system in Omaha named Methodist? It was started by Jesus' people in Omaha who were Methodists, and our Lutheran and Catholic sisters and brothers did the same kind of thing. It, we're, we're part of God's restoration project. Let me tell you about a friend of mine. Sister Jessie Alex is a Catholic nun from India. In her early years as a nun, she was a teacher for children from well-to-do families in parochial school. But her heart broke for children who were abandoned by their parents because they could not afford to feed them. Girls especially were abandoned, and then many of them became victims of the sex trade. So, Sister Jessie uh, moved to a different part of India where the need was great, even though they spoke a language that she did not know. With money that she had inherited from her deceased parents, she bought a large house and opened it up to abandoned girls. She let the community know that she would receive them. She fed them and clothed them. She loved them and gave them a home. She made sure they got an education. After graduation, most of the girls learned to trade. Uh, many of them got married. A few of them went to college. When I got to know her, she was doing this for about 50 people, for 50 children. And from the beginning, she had to find her own way to fund it. Uh, she contacted everybody she knew, anyone she'd ever met. Um, I got to know her because when she was in Europe on a funding trip, uh, she happened to sit in, uh, on a train next to a young woman from my church. And that relationship continued, and our church ended up partnering with Sister Jessie. You know, that's just one example of the restoration that God is already bringing into the world. Jesus looked at his followers and said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. In other words, you are what this world needs. You are what God is doing to restore the earth right now. Easter's promise is that one day this restoration will be complete. Let's close the message by saying together one more time, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. On this Easter Sunday, I invite all of you to join with me in communion. If you don't have your communion elements ready uh, yet, then please pause the video and go get them, and then join back with us. And I want you to know that uh, to partake of communion today through this video on Easter Sunday, uh, you don't have to be a member of our church, but if you are ready to respond to Jesus and believe in him, give your life to him, receive his forgiveness and new life, then uh, this communion is for you. This is Jesus's table. This is his meal, and he invites you to participate. Let's begin with prayer. Oh God, forgive us for not letting go of our old identity and for failing to fully embrace our new identity in Christ. We confess that we have at times selfishly looked only to our own wants and needs and overlooked the suffering of others. Forgive us for not living up to our calling as light for the world and salt for the earth. By the presence and power of your Spirit, let us be a sign of the restoration you are working in the world. We pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now let's each one of us bring our own confession to God in silence.
Hear the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And Father, we pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit upon us even now. And pour out your Spirit upon these gifts before us of bread and fruit of the vine. And let them be for us the very body and blood of Christ, the very presence of Jesus. The body of Christ given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. And now I invite you to serve one another as you see Trisha and I do in this video. If you are alone, you may serve yourself. Trisha, this is the body of Christ.
down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ.
Easter, everybody. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, Happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. And now before we go, I want to tell you about a new series that starts next Sunday and is called In Sickness and in Health. And we're going to take a look at what did Jesus say about health and illness and sickness and healing. And I want to wish you all a happy Easter, and so do many others, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Happy Easter. <laughs>